read in Ephesians 6 earlier, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I kind of tipped my hand a little bit to what the sermon's going to be. What does Satan hate? Satan hates it when the name of Jesus is exalted. Therefore, we must exalt the name of Jesus. Amen. Turn in God's words with me, if you would, to Acts. Got back into Acts last week for the first time in a couple months, chapter 19. We did a brief review. I won't do the review we did last week, but I will review what we did do last week. The first part of Acts chapter 19, well, not the first part, verses 11 through 20. Our outline was God was performing extraordinary miracles. The next section was the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. And we concluded with the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. If you remember, we looked into Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and, and we know that Satan likes to imitate what God does. So when he sowed the tares uh, to, to a, an untrained eye like mine, I would not know the difference between the wheat and the tares just to look at a field. But the workers in the field saw the difference, and, and so they said, what do we do, Jesus? Do we pull out the tares? And he said, no, wait until the harvest so what he's saying is in the end, they, the tares will, will have their own judgment. They'll be burned. Satan likes to imitate what God does. But he puts a twist on it. He puts his evil, sinister twist on it to, to get you from, from following the truth. You look back to Adam and Eve. And he says, oh, you'll be like God. You want to be like God, right? He didn't include the part about death. He, he didn't, that, that wasn't too appealing, so he didn't throw that in there. He didn't throw that in the mix. Last week, we, as, we, as we looked at chapter 19 and verses 13 through 17, we saw the, the seven sons of Sceva, that they were, they were Jewish priests, and, and they tried to throw out the demons, but they couldn't. Even though they were using the name of Jesus, they couldn't cast them out. It's because they weren't doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. God could see their hearts. God knew their hearts. God knows your heart. He knows my heart. And he knows what our motivations are. And these fellows tried to do, they tried to imitate what was going on. And what they saw Paul and Apollos do and the other disciples. And it didn't work because they weren't doing it with the right heart. They, they tried to imitate what they saw, but Christ saw them. And they were not able to cast the demons out. I've, I've shared this with you before. When we were, I was sitting in Sunday school back in the late 90s. We were in Belgium. And I had one of those aha moments. It's one of those, those things that you know the fact is in your head. You've read it a thousand times. It's been explained a thousand times. And, and one day the Holy Spirit just, 
just slants it just a little bit different so that you can see it with your heart and understand it. But the one thing that I saw, and you're going to say, really? It took you that long to figure that out. To, to connect the dots that Paul was persecuted, Saul was persecuting Christians thinking he was doing the right thing. And that it was in the name of religiosity that he was doing it. He thought he was pleasing God by his lifestyle and what he was doing. And we know the story. He literally saw the light and then he didn't see anything. But so often, Satan will use people and things in the church to accomplish his, his plan. He will, he will use us against one another. He will, if, if, if Satan gets involved, if there's, let me, let me back up just a step. If Satan sees something going on in the church that is honoring to God and exalting the name of God, if Satan sees in the church that the, that the ministry of the word is going forward and that people are responding, Satan's going to put up more battlefronts. He's going to attack harder. The, the church that's dead and doesn't preach the word of God, Satan doesn't even need to pay them any attention because they ain't doing nothing for God. Excuse my poor grammar. But the church that is doing something for God, that's proclaiming the word, that is reaching into the community, that is reaching people, Satan's going to attack, and he's going to attack harder than he has been. And he's going to try to do that from within. Because if it's from within, it looks right, it looks okay, it looks good, could be right. Had some, somebody give me a, a couple online preachers to look at this week, and i got to get back with that individual and discuss some specifics, but the, what, what's really scary and dangerous is nine of the ten things they say is good and true. It's right, and it's like, man, right on. But then you get to that tenth thing, and they just kind of slide away from the Scripture and put their own twist on it. That's dangerous. That is so dangerous. you got to be careful. Just like Ephesians 6 that Dick read. you got to put on the whole armor. you got to be offensive and defensive. you got to be protected. you got to be ready. And by looking in Acts, how do we do that? We do that by getting in the Word. By knowing the Word. By studying the Word. If there's, if there's gossip in the church, Satan will ramp it up. If there's criticism about somebody in this group's talking about this one over here, Satan will ramp it up. And, and we tend not to look at it because it's from within the church. And, and we, we're, we're, you know, we tend to look out when we're fighting our battles. We, we have each other's back. We put our backs to each other and we look out for the enemy out here. But sometimes we've got to look out for the enemy within the church. Because I'll, I'll tell you, not everybody in this service this morning has God's best interest at heart. I'm sure just by, I'm not pointing at anybody, but I'm just saying by law of averages. And where we're going in Acts today, we're going to talk about idolatry. Verses 21 to 41 of Acts chapter 19. 
And, and what is idolatry? We, we may get this image of your head, you know, people worshiping idols is, is the, the savages in the jungle that are, you know, these, got these stone or idols or whatever that they're worshiping. Or we, we saw in, in Acts 17, see if I can find the, the right verse. Come on. It's never there when you need it, right? Anyhow, Paul, Paul arrives in Athens, and he, and, he, and he says, as he's sitting there waiting for Timothy and them to come, he, he says, I'm just sitting here looking at all these idols. And it was said about Athens that there was more idols and, and carved gods in the streets than there were people. They had one for everything. They even had one to the unknown God, and, and we've, we've heard Paul's message on that. Well, he told them who the unknown God was. We know who it is. They just didn't know it. Idolatry today looks a whole lot different than it did 1,500 years ago. We're going we're gonna to delve into that. But what, what is idolatry? In, in uh, being in Ephesians, I'm not going to turn back there. We'll get to it later in the message. But Ephesians 5.18 talks about being, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, for some of us, we shouldn't be filled with pizza. Some of us shouldn't be gambling. Some of us, and, and I tread on thin ice here with my wife, shouldn't be filled with Pepsi. <laughs> okay, just real quick. In First Peter, it talks about living with your wife and understanding, understanding your wife. I understand my wife to the point that on Valentine's Day, I do not bring her roses and chocolate. I bring her pizza and Pepsi, okay? That's, that's understanding. But too much pizza and Pepsi can become idolatry, okay? Too much anything can be dangerous if we're putting it ahead of Jesus Christ in our lives. Um, I'm, I'm going to read a section later, if time permits, of a book um, that I've been using, The Acts of God by George and Donald Sweeting. Um, but I'm going to just use one of his quotes real quick here. Uh, Things become gods as we give them first place in our hearts. I'm not going to go back into the music and what, what's the soundtrack of your life is what's in your heart. We won't go back there right now. But things become gods as we give them first place in our hearts. What, what, what has first place in your heart? Okay, I'll go there. What song, when, you're, when you wake up in the night, what song comes into your mind? Is it a song that honors God? Or is it a song that has lyrics that are not pleasing to him? That don't put forth godly values, whatever it might be. Ephesians 5.18 talks about idolatry being the thing that sucks our loyalty away from our loyalty away from God and to ourselves or to this item, whatever it might be. Romans 1, 21 to 23 that we looked at last week. I'm going to turn there just briefly. The verses are so strong and so good. Romans 1, 21 to 23. For even though they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their, specta- in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They worshiped something other than God. They worshiped the created and not the creator. All right, let's get into Acts. Chapter 19, verses uh, 21 and 22 is just an itinerary update. Not real sure why Luke added it here, but uh, other than the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired him and told him to. uh, Just brief information there. Now, after these things finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, which is basically Greece, saying that after I have been there, I must also see Rome, and having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia, or Ephesus, for a while. Now, Ephesus wasn't all of Asia, but Asia is what today what we know pretty much is the, the country of Turkey. But at that time, that was Asia Minor, and he stays in Ephesus. Verses, we're going to break down 23 to 41. Uh, Verses 23 to 27 is Demetrius, the silver worker, causes a ruckus. And what's really funny when he does that is he preaches what Paul's preaching. The end of verse 26, he's saying, this guy is saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. (laughs) Keep preaching, Demetrius. You're right. You're spot on. God's made with hands are no gods at all. Verses 28 to 34 is the uproar in the, in the, um, in the theater there in, in Ephesus. I mentioned last week, Beth and I and our kids have had the privilege of actually standing in that theater. It's pretty amazing to see what's still there and, and just to hear the chants of what they were saying. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the verse 20, uh, 32, the, the point from this section, verse 32 at the end, it says, the majority did not know for what cause they had come together. They, most of them didn't even know what they were there for. Without getting political, it sounds like riots and things that have been happening in our country in the last few years. And get ready, an election's coming up soon, so there will be more of it again. Somebody heard a comment this week that COVID is the smartest virus that's ever been. It knows when there's an election coming. They didn't even know what they were there for. They just heard a roar and just wanted to be involved. Enough said for now. Verses 35 to 41, we see the city clerk comes in and And he's a skilled orator because he calms them down. I don't want to get into too much detail. We'll jump too far ahead. Verse 23, and about that time there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. And our sermon is, the title today is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Obviously taken from John 14, 6. They got a problem with the way, and then we're going to find out why. 
certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, was bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of similar trades and said, Men, you know that our prosperity depends upon this business, and you see and hear that only that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul guy has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying, the gods made with hands are no gods at all. It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If it's got to be made with hands, how can it be a god? Not only is there danger that the trade of ours will fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should even be dethroned from her magnificence. Three, three things about the, the trade and what's going on here. First of all is, is this worship of Artemis or Diana was, was a massive religion. The temple that they built for her in Ephesus was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. It was said to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it was more beautiful than, than the gardens of Babylon, the, the statue of Zeus in Olympus, more beautiful than the pyramids of Egypt and the Colossus of Rhodes. This was no small thing. This was a big deal in their lives. It was such a big deal, they took a whole month off in the year and just worshipped her. I mean, the whole month was about Artemis. She was the god of fertility. She, she supposedly could bless the economy. And, and she was the god of fertility. She could, she could provide all the needs that, were, that anybody could have, according to her worshipers. It had a physical nature. There was things that could be, done, that could be seen. And during that month, they would have games and feasts and, and all sorts of debauchery that would go on for that whole month. Again, this was no small thing. There was an economy built around it. It was big business. The jewelers and the silversmiths and, and as it says here, men of these other trades that, that fed into it, probably the mining and of the silver and that, they got rich. They didn't care if people worship Diana. They didn't care anything about it. All they cared was they were going to lose money. It's funny how that sometimes some things never change. So often it's all about the money. For some silly reason, people think it'll buy happiness. They can buy things. But this guy Artemis, he, he's concerned, and, and he, he, plays, he plays to the emotions. He plays to the idea that, that oh, our, our goddess will be dethroned. She'll lose her magnificent, magnificence. Oh, and, and, and the temple of the great goddess might fall into disrepair, and, and grab your wallets, guys, because it's going to hit you in the pocketbook. We might go broke. If this guy keeps preaching this and people keep believing it. Just as Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. Preach the word. 
I'm going to read a whole page, and it's a little longer than I normally like to read, but he says it so well. There's two kinds of modern idolaters. Okay, we're, we're going we're to shift from, from Ephesus to, to where you and I are at today. Two kinds of modern idolaters. The first kind says, I believe in God, when in reality they believe in other things. They believe in the ladder of promotion more than the God of the scriptures. They follow the God of security and material comfort. Maybe pursuit of the opposite sex has become their God. It may be career making or power grabbing. Food or drink may have enslaved them. Often those people take as their gods things that are not bad in themselves. However, they have gradually become everything. Have you placed something like that above the Lord your God? The second kind of modern idolater is the man whose creed is atheism or agnosticism. His problem comes about because his mind and actions betray him. For in fact, he believes in something passionately. It's not my God, but it is certainly his. Think of the secular humanist who believes not in God, but in man as the measure of all things. Boy, we hear that an awful lot, don't we? Think of the political religions of Nazism and Marxism. Think of those who look to science to usher in the millennial age or those who bow down to progress. Consider the one taken in by cults or the one who returns, who, excuse me, who retreats to the old gods of paganism and regulates his life by the stars. All of those objects of devotions have replaced belief in God. Those gods are not less divine because we print their names with small initial letters. Perhaps ancient men exhibited more honesty by capitalizing the names of their idols, by personalizing them, and by building temples to them. But those things do not confer divinity. Things, things become gods as we give them first place in our hearts. Our age boasts of being a skeptical age, but in many ways it's a superstitious one. Polytheism lives. Idolatry has become subtle. That is the main difference between the old idolatry and the new. The old was bold and obvious, but ours, marked by subtlety, is all the more deadly. The subtlety hides its magnitude in our society, and we no longer have temples to Artemis. Today we build temples to the gods of oil, trade, insurance, and banking. The worship is more discreet, but every bit as lucrative and certainly more dangerous. So how did Paul respond to the idolatry set forth by Demetrius? He confronted idolatry head on. He warned of its subtle forms. He said, come out and be separate. Be the light and the salt that we're supposed to be. Don't cave. Don't give accommodations. Don't slide. Remember our illustration that God's here? And we need to be right here standing next to God. 
And it doesn't matter if the world's 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet, or 50 feet away. We need to stay right here next to God and the truths of his words. We can't just keep, say, 50 feet between us and the world. And as the world slides further away from God, we slide. But that's okay because we're still 50 feet away. Wrong answer. We need to stand firm and stay right here next to God in our relationship with him. We can't put other things ahead of God in our hearts and let that rule our hearts. Paul confronted the idolatry. He opposed the idolatry. No sliding. No, well, that's just who they are. It's okay. That's okay. Garbage. It's rubbish. He admonished Christians to be on their guard. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts 5. Or excuse me, Ephesians 5. Paul admonished the Christians to be on their guard and to be subject to Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love, just as Christ also lived, loved you and gave himself for, up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of things which are done by them in secret. And how often is that just commonplace anymore? But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here's our verse again. Do not get drunk with wine. For, it doesn't say not to drink. And I say that very cautiously, because if you have a problem with drink, don't drink, okay? For this is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks for the 
things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What controls your heart? That verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Our focus needs to be on living in the Spirit. Walking our lives so as to please Christ and not man. Christ and not ourselves. So Paul confronted the idolatry, he opposed it. And he admonished the Christians to be on their guard. Tony Moreta says, Paul's gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting, spirit-empowered ministry impacted the local economy and caused an uproar. Amen and amen. So be it. We've talked about the different... The different uh, Disturbances back in, in Acts 19. We had the disturbance with the, the demonics in, in the verses 13 through 18. Verses 8 through 10, we had the disturbance in the temple. So Paul took his group and went to a, a house next to the temple. And then we have the, the big disturbance in the, the city center in the theater. We get back to that in verse uh, Acts 19, verse 28, when they heard this, they were filled with rage and they began crying. Our, our Demetrius was, was a fantastic stirrer-upper. He, he riled them up. It was all about the emotions, get them excited. Because he, he was hoping that, that if they could cause a riot, that they would kill Paul and his buddies, and, and then they could go back to business as usual. And, you know, ching hear that, hear that coin in their, in their purse. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed with one accord to the theater, dragging Gaius and Aristarchus and Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. Probably a good move. Also, some of the Asiarchs, and, and that is the, the, um, like the city government and, and those that were in power over who were friends with Paul, sent to him and repeatedly urged them not to venture into the theater. So some were shouting one thing and another for the assembly was confusion, didn't know, even know what they were there for. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward and having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make defense to the assembly. But when they realized he was a Jew, a single outcry arose among them and they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours. Now, folks, I'm a Michigan fan, and I've been in the big house at a football game, and, and a chant or a cheer or a, whatever might go on for a minute. Okay? Maybe two minutes if it was, you know, fantastic, or if it was we were kicking the tails of that team from down south. It might have gone on for, you know, that might be three minutes, okay? Sorry, Shirley. Not really, but sorry. But two hours. They just kept shouting this over and over and over for two hours. You think those people were sold 
hook, line, and sinker on Artemis? Kind of sounds like it. I can't imagine yelling anything for two. Oh, I can yell different things at the TV for two hours if there's a football game on and the referees are making all the dumbest, you know, dumbest calls they've ever made. I'm not going to sit there and chant the same thing for two hours. My goodness, they weren't chanting, they were yelling. And most of them didn't know why they were there. Talk about the blind leading the blind. Be, be aware, people. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to get into specifics and politics and whatever, but not that I'm afraid to, it's just the time. But we need to be aware. We need to get our heads out of the sand. And we know that, that when we warned and we, we said it was coming last year in our election when they, when they passed Prop 1, 2, and 3, Three was the most evil, but two wasn't far behind. And we said, if they pass this, then this and this and this is going to happen. And, and this has already happened, and we're waiting for this and this, because it's coming. I, I haven't seen lately where it is, but I know a couple of weeks ago, there was a bill that passed our state house, and I don't know if it's passed the senator or if our governor signed it yet, that said, if we don't use the proper pronouns that people want to be called, we can go to jail for five years and pay a $10,000 fine. What happened to freedom of speech? Now you're forcing me to say something? Something that is against God's will and God's plan? We always said as a kid growing up in the youth group, we always thought it was funny to say God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, it's gotten a whole lot worse than that. And all it is is idolatry because they're focusing on something other than God. They don't know the true God. And their idolatry is, is putting what, and we talked last week about attention-seeking behavior. They want attention. They want focus. What they need is the love of God. Then they'll get all the attention they need. No, we don't hate them. We love them because God first loved us. But what we hate is the sin. What we hate is the, the actions and everything that, that directs us away from God and puts the focus on ourselves. It's just what we're reading here and, and what we read in Ephesians 5 is very clear that we need to humble ourselves and be in subject underneath Jesus Christ. Be aware, people. Keep your eyes open. And, and God, God will allow some eyes to be blinded. Satan will do all he can to blind everybody's eyes. And so when I, when I see... Supreme Court justice nominees, and I see other people witness or testifying before Congress, and they can't define what a woman is. God, help us. Help us as a nation. My goodness, that's just plain stupidity. God made man and he made woman. That's his word, that's his plan, that's what he did. You can't argue that point. 
Things become God's as we give them first place in our hearts. And again, Tony Moreta, Paul's gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting, spirit-empowered ministry impacted the local economy and caused an uproar. Is our faith causing an uproar? It ought to be. Verses 35 to 41, the, the city clerk doesn't give his name, but the town clerk comes in, calms him down. There's different, different political reasons for that in verse 40, why, why he's calming him down, because he doesn't want the, the wrath of the Roman rulers to come down on them and take away their, their freedom that they have in, in their city. Funny how, how that gets twisted today. That, that our authority and our right to get together and worship can be endangered. People, keep your heads out of the sand. Keep your focus on Jesus. And make sure that we are not an idolatrous people. I, I would be real surprised to walk into any of your houses and see a a statue of Buddha or, or Diana or, or whatever. But how many of us have statues to other things? Things that we might not consider an idol per se, but if it takes first place in our hearts, it's an idol, folks. How many of us have idols that we need to claim? I'll tell you, I love football, and I have to be careful, because that could become an idol. I love to watch it, never played it. Love to watch it, love to scream at the TV. Years ago, I think, I think it was when our kids were still in high school, <laughs> they bought me a little foam brick. I can't even remember what it said. Was it Packers on one side? What did it say? Bad call brick. Yeah, it was a bad call brick. So you could throw it at the wall or the TV and not have put a hole in either one. <laughs> throw it with all, all, all your might. Yeah. Got to be careful. Father, Help our focus to be on you. May we be encouraged and emboldened by the, the testimony of Paul. And he was willing to risk it all for your name. Father, give us that kind of faith. And as we live in this world we live in today, give us wisdom that we might see the devil's lies for what they are and that we might stand firm, that we might stand close to you and, and keep that relationship open, Father. That we might not move towards the world and away from you, not even a milli-inch. Keep us this week, Father. Keep us true to you. 
Keep us loving you and you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies, quickly, a Bible study meeting up here just to establish time and place.